Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Many times I've been up here and, and started off talking to you about the, you know, how things seem to be going in our country, what's going on, um, you know, the news, the social media things and what our responsibilities are there. And I think that it is true, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, that there is a, a lot of division and problems and struggles in our country today, right? You don't have to watch the news very long. And if you, if you watch Fox News pretty exclusively, you know who the bad guys are, right? But if you watch MSNBC or CNN, you know who the bad guys are, right? And, and I think that probably largely the majority of people really are wanting what's best for our country. And we may not always agree about what that is. Um, and, and we tend to think, especially the louder we get, the more emphatic we become, we really begin thinking, you know, well, God is on our side. He's on my side of this argument. And um, Abraham Lincoln, during the height of the Civil War, was asked, is God on the side of the Union armies? And he said, well, I think it's the wrong question. The more important question is, are we on God's side? And that we don't take what we think and our position and all that and then drag God along and say that he's, he's for us and what we're doing. Uh, so there are lots of problems, but what I wanted to do today to start with is to, instead of talking about all the negatives, we're going to talk about some of the negatives today, but let's start by celebrating what is good and positive, some good and positive things about our country. Uh, first one is freedom. Man, freedom. I remember last year I was asking the folks at the car show doing a little survey, asking them, you know, what they thought was their greatest concern for our country and what was going on. And repeatedly throughout it was the concern about a loss of freedom. Okay. And so our country was founded with freedom as this foundational concept. The Declaration of Independence sent a shockwave around the world to every king and every tyrannical government because it said that we as human beings have rights that are not given to us by other humans, not given to us by our government, but rights which have been entrusted to us by God. And that, that we are responsible for using these rights for good and that when somebody tries to take away that freedom that we have the, at least the declaration said, the freedom to say no and we're going to set up our own government here and go forward. And, and so what's interesting is, is that really did make a huge difference, this idea of humans all equal, all free, because God made it that way. And that humans did not have the right to take that away. And it's interesting that right now, out of all of the nations in the United Nations, more than half of them now have a declaration of independence. And many of them, most of them actually are, are kind of patterned after ours. And so this, I mean, this is a huge turning point in the history of the world and how everything worked, okay? And so we have this freedom. Now, there was one major failing in this idea of freedom and, and equality. At the time of our founding, what was it? Somebody knows. Slavery. 
Slavery, exactly. Slavery, there was a terrible blight on our country and it's you know, so harmful to so many people and harmful to us as uh, to the Americans because it's, it was wrong. We'll talk more about that in a little while. So that was a failing, okay. But freedom, that we have the freedom to follow our conscience. We have the freedom to do what we think is important. We have the freedom to take care of our families the best way we think, and on and on it goes. All right, so second thing, though, is there's a huge Christian influence in our country. There is. Now, we live up in New England, and sometimes, and some, actually, I think the Springfield, Chicopee, Holyoke area is listed as one of the least Christian-influenced communities in the country. And Vermont as a state is like that. So we kind of live in an area where we don't see it so much, but in our country, man, there's Christian influence everywhere. And, and I would say that it's not all what we would necessarily right, right? Because we think that there are things that they're getting wrong. But do you remember a few weeks back when we looked at what Paul said, when he talked about, hey, I'm, I'm in jail, I can't be out there preaching now, but there are other people who are preaching. And he says, some of them aren't preaching right. <laughs> some of them are, have the wrong motives. But do you remember what he said? He said, whether they're getting it perfectly right or not, I'm glad because Jesus is being preached, right? And we have that in our country. I mean, it is huge. You can't, I mean, anybody in our nation today who would have any inkling of a desire to learn about Jesus God can probably find a place within 15 minutes to do it. Not to mention online, right? So we have a huge Christian influence in our country and that has made a tremendous difference. It makes a tremendous difference in our personal lives and has made a tremendous difference in how our country has run. Third thing, super, super desirable place to live. I mean, we have people all the time trying to get in, right? because they want to come to America. They want to have a, a better life. And, and I looked online uh, and, and found a place that assists people in trying to get visas to be able to enter the country and to, to do things legally. But anyway, they listed, a, 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 this is a list of reasons that people want to come to our country. Uh, and these aren't all perfect things, but they're good things. So the quality of education, they want to get their families in here and their children here because the education is so much better than where they're coming from. Uh, there's the advanced innovative healthcare system. Problems with the healthcare system? Yeah. But man, the innovations that have come from American medicine. Large economy with lots of opportunities to improve and grow in that. Uh, living space. Uh, the average American has twice the living space of the average European. Twice. And, and, it, the, and when you're figuring all the costs, it's less expensive, okay? Uh, so we just have a lot more space that we live in. Then there's the physical beauty, which we know, the diverse climate. You know, you can have pretty much any climate you want in the United States. You can pick it. Uh, science and technology that's available. Uh, greater freedom and flexibility in transportation. How many of you here today have your own car? How many of you have more than one? Quite a few, right? Okay. Many people around the world, even the middle class people, do not own cars. They don't have that freedom. And, and public transportation is a good thing, and we have that as well. But so, uh, finally, the emphasis on the personal freedom and the protection of personal rights that they don't experience in the countries that they're coming from. 
And so, anybody besides me glad that you live in this country? I'm glad I live here, you know? And that doesn't mean that other countries aren't great places to live, they are. But I'm just saying we have, have the blessing of our country here, I think. And, and the fourth thing is this, that in our country, we always have opportunities to improve and grow. And that's both personally and as a nation. Um, nations in the world that have a much more authoritative structure from the government down, right? Maybe a king, maybe some sort of tyrannical power or a council or whatever, where the people do not experience freedom and where there are injustice, human rights abuses we, we can talk about. How do they fix those in those countries? They have no regular means to fix it. The only way it eventually get fixed is, is what? There's a revolt and they throw out the, the no good people and, but then they still don't have a system. The new people do the same, right? But in our country, we have, our system is designed to be able to what? Fix the problems. And there's an example for you. Slavery was a terrible, terrible thing. Never should have existed. Never should have been a part of our country. And now it's not. How is that? It's because we have a system that allows us to figure out how do we change things. We can make changes. We can make adjustments. And yes, did that solve all the problems of race? No, it didn't. There's other problems. And we've made progress on those. And undoubtedly, there's still some racial tension issues that need to be figured out and addressed. But in our country, we can do that. We have the freedom to be involved and, and focus in on those things and bring the, those things about. A man named Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman, came to the United States during the 1800s and he traveled over all the civilized areas at that time, talking to people, interviewing people, studying, watching. And he wrote a book about the greatness of America. Here's one of the things that he said. He said that the greatness of America lies not in being more enlightened than any other nation, but rather in her ability to repair her faults. See, we have the opportunity to do better. We have an opportunity to become a better nation, a better people. And so that's, that's something that's really good and positive about America. And we could go on with the list, I'm sure. But, so I thank God for all the things that are great about America. Now, there is this term and you may have heard of it, called American exceptionalism. And different people mean different things by American exceptionalism. But generally the idea is that America is a special nation, that God has raised us up to, to be this, uh, have this huge role in the world and to do, you know, to represent God and, and all that's good and right. And, um, and some people take that way too far. By the way, we are not the nation of Israel. Right? God, we, we're not, you can't find the United States of America in the Bible anywhere. So those promises aren't made to us that he made to Israel. But when America has been good, and when America is good, that's good, isn't it? It makes a difference. And so you can see this, actually you have the notes there. If you probably figured that out already, the sermon notes. Uh, if you might want to follow along, let me just read this to you under American exceptionalism. 
When America is true to her founding values, she is exceptional in the world. And it's living out these values that has made America a strong nation and a shining light in the history of the world. But when America and Americans are not true to the founding values, we become just a large, greedy, self-centered, and prideful nation, which is bad news for us and the world. And are there problems in our nation today? Yeah, they are, things that we need to deal with. So real quickly, some problems facing America. There's large-scale vitriolic political division. Man, you don't have to, to look at media very long to figure that one out, right? And it's, it's, it's very personalized and it's, it's just, it's sad, okay? Uh, the, I was having a, a long conversation with my son-in-law yesterday and we were talking about the ideas that we all should be able to say, hey, what do we agree on that we can do something about? Well, I think we would all say we all agree, well, maybe not, but probably most of us would agree that we would hate to see someone need health care to continue living and not to be able to afford it and therefore not able to get it. Now, I can't tell you what the answer to that is, right? That's very complicated. But do you understand what I'm saying? Wouldn't you? I guess it's hitting home to me a little bit. I'm looking at, you know, our situation with my wife and I and, and that we have this access to the health care. What if we didn't? And so I think, so can't we somehow rather come together and figure out at least how to make an improvement to do something better. And that's just one illustration. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Okay, but we aren't doing that because we're playing gotcha politics all the time. And um, I almost think sometimes that they try to keep us all wound up about these kinds of issues so that we don't really look at what really we might maybe ought to be looking at. Okay? All right. Uh, second here. A growing rejection of both small t truth and large t, the truth. A, a rejection of both. We had a sermon earlier this year where we talked about this, that people want to say, well, true for you, but not for me. And we say, wait a minute, no, that isn't the way truth works. If something is true, it's true. If it's true, it's always true, right? It's true and it's true and it's true and it's, it's always true. And there is a, a, a large segment of our society that is, is beginning to set that aside. And so... It's hard to talk about things because there's no objective truth for them. And certainly there's been a large scale setting aside of the truth, right? The truth that God has given us, okay? And that creates problems in our country. Third thing, unresolved issues from our past. And this is what I already mentioned. This is racial, racial tensions and racism. There's still unresolved issues there that we have to look at as a nation to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And then fourth, there's sin. If there's human beings, there's going to be sin, right? Uh, including me. It includes me. And all of us here in our church today. So there is sin. And then sinful approaches to life. And, and what we find is there's this re rejecting of, just like a rejecting of the idea of the truth, there's a rejection of the concepts of right and wrong. Well, it might be right for you, but it's not for me. It might be wrong for you, it's not for me. And, and that becomes problematic when we look and see what has God said about something. What does God say about this issue? And if he said this is what's right and this is what's wrong, guess what? That's what's right and that's what's wrong, okay? Because God has settled it and he sets that. Uh, and what ends up happening 
when we adopt a sin and hang on to it and, and want to live that way, whatever it is in your life, you end up rationalizing that. Because you know what? If it's wrong, there's almost always a sense in which you know it. And so in order to do it, what do you have to do? You have to rationalize it. You have to say, well, what's really okay because. Uh, and, and so you end up calling evil good and good evil. Something which God has very clearly said we ought not do. And so in a sense, there becomes an addiction to sin. In other words, a sin, I, I like to live this way, someone say. I like to live this way. I want to live this way. So they rationalize it away, but there's an addiction to it. And what they have to do is double down on that. They have to continue to deny their responsibility here in order to justify how they're living and what they're doing. And I'm saying they, but guess what? That's we too, isn't it? And we need to be honest about that in our own lives, which we'll talk a little more about that in a little, in a little bit here. And, but here's where it, it goes to. So it's to start off with, with saying, no, I want to live this way even though God has said otherwise. And they may not even know that God has said otherwise. So they rationalize it. They call it good when it's not. There's this ongoing need to justify it. And here's where it's led to. And that is people demanding that other people accept their sin and support them in it, right? It's not enough for them to be free to live how they're living, they're choosing it. They're demanding that we say it's good. And, and that is a problem that we're facing in our nation. In fact, take your Bibles today uh, or on your phone and turn to uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you today, hopefully there's one under the chairs there in front of you. I encourage you to pick it up and turn to page 970 uh, so you can find where we are together here. You know, if I bring up the names of, from history, the cities Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm not going to ask you to respond, but do you have anything that comes to mind? Any particular sins that come to mind? Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, God here tells us in this passage, he's actually talking to his people, he's talking to Jerusalem, and he's telling them how they have lived, and he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so let's look at this here. Ezekiel chapter uh, 17, no, 16, verse 48. This is God talking. He says, as I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister, sister Sodom nor her daughters, and he, he's using kind of figurative language, your sisters, your sister cities, your, those who've come from you. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Okay, wow, let's stop and think about that for a minute. That would be like someone coming in here today and saying, I have a message for you from God, and I want you to think right now of the worst sin sin pattern, sinful living that's out in our culture today that, you know, they're trying to push. What you think of that? And then that speaker says, well, I have this message from the Lord. They haven't done anything nearly as bad as you guys. What? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, he's going to elaborate here. He says, verse 49, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. 
Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, though she had the ability to do it is, is the implication here. And you see any mention of sexual immorality? I'm asking you. Anybody see it there? And yet that's what we think of, don't we, when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what happened is the way they were living produced the environment that opened the door to all of those other things. Now, let's read that again here. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and there was all the needs met, and abundance of idleness, and then didn't do with it what they should have. Man, does that sound like our country to you? Fullness of pride, man, I see that. Uh, and then abundance of the food, what's it say, fullness of food. There are some people in America who struggle to have enough food to eat. That does happen. But by and large in our country, right? I mean, think. For many of the people trying to get into our country, living poor in America is a huge step up from where they're coming from. Right? We as a nation, we are so blessed. We have so much. And, and, and idleness, we have so much time to do things and to, well, anyway, just so much time on our hands. And the idea is that if God entrusts us with these good things, we should do good things with them. And when we don't, we be, end up, we spiral into ourselves as a people. And we experience what we're experiencing today in the world around us. But who's he talking to here? Is he talking to the world around him? Was he talking to Jerusalem about all the sinful people outside them? And is he? Now you don't know, but it's okay to say if you think you know. Hey, he's, he's not talking to the, those people. He's talking to who? The people in the house. To the believers. And so we need to take and look at our lives and say, wow, yeah, I do. Pridefulness, what's that about? Well, that means I think I'm the most important and I, I take care of myself even if it's hurtful to somebody else. It's about me. Yeah, and I do have, I have an abundance. I have more than I need. I, you know, I enjoy it and I get to do that and, and I have time. I know we feel busy, but we're busy because we have all the time to do something with. You know? Anyway, the idea is he's talking to his people He's saying, you need to look at your lives. In verse 50, he says, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me, talking about his people. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Or this he talk, excuse me, he's talking about Sodom here, but he's trying to teach his people. They were haughty, committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. You know, God could do that to our country, couldn't he? We could reach a point in our country where God says, there's no turning back here. I'm pulling out. <laughs> Go ahead and let us crash and burn. He could do that. Hopefully he doesn't. America is not exempt from the judgment of God. And judgment comes in two ways. We typically think of the judgment of God as something that God actively does. And he can do that and undoubtedly does that sometimes. But do you know the vast majority of judgment of God that we experience is called sowing and reaping? We reap what we sow. Okay? And, that, and we are not exempt from that. Now, it's easy for us, I think sometimes, uh, I mean, I don't know about you. I, every now and then, Glenda, you know, I, I watch more news-related things than she does. 
That's because she's wiser than I am. And every now and then, she'll, you know, hear me in the other room. Like if I'm sitting at the computer, watch the thing, or I'm reading something, and all of a sudden she'll hear me on the computer. She hears. She'll come poking at what's going on. <laughs> or I'll, I'll come and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it, this, you know. And, and, uh, but it's easy for us to start thinking that the problem is those people out there. Right? It's those crazy Demopublicans, Republicrats, whatever. I mean, right? You choose, and, and it's easy to start saying it's all those people's problems. But I'm saying, I think all through the Bible, God tells us, yeah, that's a problem. Look, look within. Look at yourself. Evaluate here. Because there may be ways in which we're doing the same things. The details are just different. And so the idea is we want to remember that it's not those people that we are struggling with. Remember what Paul said? He said, what? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? Against the spiritual powers, Satan himself. And so most people who hold unbiblical beliefs and live in non-Christian ways are victims of Satan's lies. They are not our enemies. Now, all of this negative stuff can take over our thinking and, and leave us feeling this way. What uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 11, he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's, anybody feel that way a little bit? Like the foundations are being destroyed out there and what can we do about it? And we feel that way. And, be, and here's the reality, because if things are not built on the foundation of truth, eventually it crumbles. Eventually it collapses. Eventually all the problems, you know, just come cascading in. So what can we do about it? What can we do? Well, there's another quote that's often credited to the same person we looked at earlier, Alex, Alexis de Tocqueville. It turns out he never said it. But let me read the quote. It's on your notes there. He says, Ameri or somebody said, America is great because America is good. If America ever stops being good... It will stop being great. So he didn't say it, but somebody did, and I think they got it right. Right? America's great because America's good. If America ever stops being good, it will stop being great. And the Lord could take us away as he sees fit. But this reminds me, this is a biblical truth. Proverbs 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So, if you and I do something that's good and right, does that help our nation? When we do things that are good and right, it helps our nation. Okay? When we do things that are not good and right, when we sin, when we're selfish, does that help or hurt our nation? Hurts our nation. See, because righteousness does what? Builds up a nation. Sin tears down a nation. Okay? And so what do we need to do? What can we do? Well, I think I, in your notes there you have be practitioners of righteousness. Doesn't that sound cool? Practitioners of righteousness. It's next time somebody asks you, what's your, what do you believe? Well, I'm a practitioner of righteousness. Being doers, consistent doers of good. Now, what does that mean? How, what can guide us in that idea of doing good? Well, God has given us something to do. When Jesus left, you remember what he said? When he left, he told his, his followers this, and we have a 
a shortened version of up here, but he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. And there's an assumption here. If we're going to go teach them to observe all the commands that he's given us, that we ought to be keeping those commands, right? And so we're teaching them what he has taught us. And so we, well, there's several reasons why. Let's look here uh, at the reasons. Um, it's because when we get involved in carrying out the Great Commission personally and as a church, it connects us with what God himself is doing, right? He's the one who wants to reach the world, isn't he? He's the one who sent his son into the world to be our savior, to die and pay the penalty for our sins and rise again so that we by faith can just say, okay, God, I have sinned against you. I, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I, I put my faith in Jesus to be my savior. By the way, how many of you say, man, I remember doing that. Okay, yeah, all over the place. We need to do it. That's how we begin that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Okay, so the good that we can do is to think consciously about carrying out this great commission because it connects us with God as himself is doing. And by the way, he's already called us to join him in that. He's already, he's telling us here to do it. Okay. It also changes hearts because the gospel changes hearts because what happens when somebody receives Jesus as Savior? Do you remember? Before a person receives Jesus as Savior, they can believe in God and they can try to do all sorts of good things. But deep down inside, they still have that in their core of their being. It's sinful. It's selfish. It's self-centered. And what happens is when we receive Christ as Savior, he moves in and that old ugly part goes away. He replaces it with himself. And then, as we're going to see next week, he talks about how do we work that into our lives. And that's what the Christian life growth in the Christian life is about. But it changes hearts when someone comes to Christ. And change hearts is essential to any meaningful large-scale change in our nation. Because here's what happens. We, I think it's good when the laws uphold the morality of the Bible. Would you agree with that? When, when our laws are consistent with the, the morality that the Bible teaches, okay? But if we think for a moment that if we can just pass a law, everything's fixed, we're fooling ourselves. Right? If we just think the Supreme Court has made a really good decision about something that we believe in, that, does that solve the problem? No, I mean, I think those are good things, but the idea is it doesn't because people's hearts haven't been changed. And if those hearts don't change, they, you might be able to hold this down for a while, but under the surface, it's all still corrupt and a problem. And it will come out, which is what the Bible talks about all the time. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the condition of your heart that matters so much. All right. And so when we're involved in the Great Commission getting the gospel out, people's hearts get changed. And, and uh, this shines a light into the darkness of sin and despair in people's lives, right? It shines a light. Do people always want the light? No, they don't always want the light. Often they do. But here's the thing. So we preach the gospel. We share the gospel with others. We, we, we love them and show them in practical ways the love of God in, in, in our lives. And it shines this light. And then we share the gospel. And the gospel is polarizing because people have to choose. Am I going with God or am I not going with God? Am I receiving Jesus as Savior or am I not? It's very polarizing. And those who do respond, their hearts are changed and it begins to change them in awesome ways, okay? And that certainly it changes their eternal destiny. But 
we also have to understand that sometimes people won't want to hear that. It is polarizing. There are people who don't want that. They don't want that message. They don't think you should even be able to say it. And so it's very possible that we end up being persecuted. If we get serious about living this out, there's a high chance we will experience persecution. And depending on how our nation has gone, that could become official persecution. I mean, it may not get there, but it could. And so, but Paul said that we should expect this. He, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All right? So we ought not to be, if we experience some persecution, oh no, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. No, it isn't. This is showing that you must be doing something good and right. And God is at work in your life. Now, and so finally, getting involved in the Great Commission, as it changes hearts, it changes the world one person at a time. That's why I said, you know, you can't change the law and fix it, but you can change it as people change, as their hearts change. And nobody gets, becomes perfect, right, in this life. We're all works in progress. But it does change the world. And so here's the final thing, this idea that we must get down to the hard issues because, okay, yeah, let's do these things. This is how we focus on carrying out the Great Commission, surrendering to the Lord, growing to be like the Lord, telling others about the Lord as we seek to live that out. Um, but Jesus has made it so clear so many times that it's what's in the heart that matters, right? And so there's some things we need to settle in our hearts. Turn, turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're just about done here. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. God here is giving instructions to Solomon. He has just dedicated the, the temple, the Jewish temple of the Lord. And God has said, okay, I will bless you. But he also says that, you know, there may be times when I have to chastise you. And he says this in verse 12, chapter 7. By the way, this is page 500 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Page 500. It says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. So let's stop. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, God made very clear. Here's what's going to happen. If you'll obey me and follow me and live by my principles. And like I said, once again, nobody's perfect. But we live by it and we respond right when we mess up. He said, if you'll live that way, I'm going to bless you in these ways. But he said, if you don't, if you decide, hey, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing. I don't really care about that. He says, I'm going to have cause these things to happen to get your attention. So you turn back to me. And so he says here that, that when that's happening and, and so that's active judgment of God. But like I said, in our nation, I would I'm convinced that we are reaping what we've sown. We are experiencing the built in judgment of God. And so. We're not Israel, but yet there's some thoughts here that apply to us. And I want you to see what he says. God says this in verse 14. Here's the solution. If my people, now for and going father, who's he talking to? My people. That's us, isn't it? In our application, that would be us. 
If we, if my people who are called by my name, Christian, Christ, 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 called by my name, Christians, will humble themselves. Do you remember what the sin of, first sin of uh, Sodom was listed as? Pride. We need to humble ourselves. They humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Whose wicked ways? His people's wicked. Are there, boy, that's not a pleasant thought, is it, here today? To say maybe there are wicked ways in me or you. But we need to look and see. They may not look like what's going on out there, but there are things in our lives that aren't what they ought to be. And turn from their wicked ways. He says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So he says, it'll make a difference. And if, if Christians would do this, if, if every Christian who lives in the United States actually did this and lived it out, it would change our country. Because if nothing else, we'd carry out the Great Commission all the time and people would be getting saved, coming to Christ. And so many things would change. And so let me sum these up. He says, okay, they humble themselves, humility. That's a hard issue. We need to be humble. We ought not to think that we're better than those around us, better than those people out there who don't live like Christians. Uh, you're only different because God has saved you. And he wants to save them as well. Humility. Second one, dependence. He says, pray, right? Pray to me. That prayer's about dependence. I, I can't do this on my own, God. I need you. So we become dependent on God on purpose. And then he says, seek my face. That, that's showing what's his, our desire. What's your greatest desire? When you think about your long-term goals, what is your greatest goals? I want to say to you that you need to look and value. Say, really, my greatest goal of all time ought to be that I would come to know the Lord and become more like the Lord. And if I, you know, I hope I can retire. I want to plan for that. But this is more important to me than that. Desire, And then he says repentance. And this is where we honestly look at our lives and say, hey, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. This needs to change. That needs to change. Oh, God, help me. I don't know how to do this, but I know it needs to change. Please. And we turn away from that to him. And so here's the deal. When our hearts are this, humility and dependent and desiring him and, and being repentant as necessary. And then we, from the heart, go back to this doing good, the carrying out of this commission that he's given us. From the heart, this kind of heart. Here's what's going to happen. This is what we want it to be. We want it to be where someone who doesn't even know Jesus, doesn't know much about the Bible, says this, I'm so glad that I work for a Christian. Because working for a Christian is like, wow, what a blessing that is. I'm so glad I work with a Christian. Okay? I'm so glad my neighbor is a Christian. I'm glad, I'm especially glad that my auto mechanic is a Christian. <laughs> or whatever. I'm saying that when we begin living like that, and that's because right now, if someone's boss is a Christian, they might go, oh, no. Because they're going to think of all these negative things that they got in mind about Christians. But when we really become what God wants us to be, it will be, wow. And the world will see Jesus in us. And they will experience the power of gospel in their lives. And so 
Let's just wrap it up with this. Is there any hope for America? Certainly there is. God can do a miraculous work, but much more likely he's going to work through us. And so it's right at the end of your notes there. Christian citizens doing good by living out the Great Commission are the best hope for America. And what that means is you and me, right? We're talking about us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We do thank you, Lord, for this nation. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to work in our nation and through us as your people. Pray we would humble ourselves before you and turn away from things in our lives that really aren't what our lives are supposed to be about and turn to you and depend on you and, and grow in knowing you. I pray that, that then, Lord, as we share the gospel and live out the gospel, that the world around us will see it and it'll have a positive impact on our nation. But Lord, more important to us than what happens with our nation is that we would honor and glorify you. Whether you see fit to use us to turn this nation around or whether you take this nation away eventually. We surrender to you and want to glorify you moment by moment each day of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.